Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Ricky Haywood-Williams. Some of you may know me from Kiss Breakfast on the radio or from the telly on MTV or BBC, etc. So I'm here with my old pal from MTV and my old flatmate. His name's James. And we were chatting a few months ago and we decided that we needed to work together again. And here we are. So this is our new podcast. It's called The Motto. Now, the idea behind it is to chat to interesting personalities from popular culture, those people that you probably follow on social media, but don't necessarily hear being interviewed that much. We want to get musicians, athletes, entrepreneurs. We've got a really, really long list. We're really looking forward to this one. So the point of all of this is to find out what makes these people tick. What's their motto? But also to give back. So the money that we make from sponsors and ads will go directly to the charity of that guest choice. And you'll hear them explain why they've chosen that charity in the interview as well. So this is the first one recorded with the force of nature that is Charlie Slough. Uh, we recorded this at Tape Lodge. Big up to the guys at Tape London for their support as well. I think we both thought that we knew about Charlie, but he literally blew us away in this interview. Interesting inspiring he was funny i knew that he was a fun guy but i had no idea how much fun we were going to have i hope you guys find it as interesting and as entertaining as we did what we really need is your feedback let us know what you like and what you don't like and also who you would like us to interview as well let us know you can get in touch with us via the website it's themotto.org or jump on twitter and instagram using at the motto pod all one word no spaces you can find us both as well myself and james i'm at ricky hw that's ricky spelt with an ie and james is at mr james barnes all one word no spaces now we're actually filming these interviews as well uh you guys can check them out on youtube or via our website as well so do that if you can so you know what to do follow us on social media rate us give us some reviews as well it means a lot to us and also give us a shout if you guys are interested in sponsoring the show that means we can guarantee our charity donations every single time that's it enjoy Charlie, what's up, bro? How cool. are you, man? I'm good. You? Good to see you, man. Good to see you, bro. Always a pleasure. How you been? I've been good, you know. Okay, so as you know, a big thing on the motto is that we like to give back, whether it be uh, through the amazing stories that our guests tell us. We also like to donate the money that we get from sponsors to a charity of our guest choice. So that being said, Charlie, who is your charity going to be that um, we're going to donate to on, on your behalf? The charity has got to be Cancer Research. Um, my old man got diagnosed with cancer last year. Right. Um, just beat it as well. Um, but at Congrats. the same time, my uncle, who's like very close to me, got diagnosed a week later mm. and passed away two weeks ago. 
So for me, cancer research do a great job, so the money's got to go to them. Yeah, yeah, so it's like definitely close to your heart. Very close to my heart. Yeah, I hear that, man. All right, so listen, the early life of Charlie Sloth. Like, where, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Where did you live? Talk to me. So I was born in Camden Town, Northwest London, um, in a little area called Summers Town. Now, when I grew up, that had the highest crime rate in the whole country. Seriously? Yeah, because where it's positioned, it's positioned right in between Euston Station and Kingsford Station. Yeah. And there's actually a film that was made about Summers Town. Like, it was that bad. And it was like the melting pot. So anyone who come from outside of England or outside of London got through in Summers Town. So, like, we, you know, we had, like... Anyone who come from up north, anyone who come from overseas. Yeah. We had like a huge Somalian, huge Asian, huge yeah. traveller community, all thrown into one melting pot. Yeah. So like growing up as a kid in an area that was just so diverse and so vibrant, it was a beautiful thing because from a young age, I was so coloured and so schooled on so many different cultures. Um, so yeah, I grew up in Summers Town. My mom and dad actually, my mom and dad are both scousers. Are they really? Yeah. Right. Okay. They, so that explains the Liverpool connection, yeah. Liverpool FC. Okay, okay. So my mom and dad moved down to um, to London when my mom was pregnant with me, um, and so my dad, his dad, come from the Seychelles, and when he landed in the UK, he was fighting in the navy. Landed in the Seychelles, landed in Liverpool from the Seychelles after fighting in the war. He met my nan there she was Irish so there was like the worst two immigrants you could possibly have <laughs> <laughs> coming into the country like, like uh, uh, my granddad was like coolie so yeah, like yeah, yeah. and my nan was Irish so I went out in pubs and stuff so it's mad, it? yeah it's mad and then so I come from a like my background is so rich in like culture and heritage that I guess that I was blessed to be thrown into another melting pot yeah. after my granddad come in and experience the stuff that he did for me to be thrown into another melting pot and experience that. Mm. Yeah, I definitely think it coloured me to be who I am. As a kid, you know, I, I was always told that I could do anything. Mm. And I, I guess I wouldn't be who I am today if it weren't for having someone like my granddad to look up to, someone who had actually done it. Someone who had made a life for my dad, for his sisters, the rest of my family. Yeah. So yeah, my story stems from Camden Town, Northwest London, a little place called Summer's Town. When did music, when did you get the music bug? And the first time I really got the music bug was when I was about seven or eight. I got sent home from school. And for, my what? Mom, for what? I was ill, not for being naughty. I was, on, I was, Charlie, no, I was on. actually, I swear I'm not joking. <laughs> I was actually ill, well, I was pretending to be ill, I think. I probably weren't ill, but I just wanted to go home. So my mum had to come pick me up. My mum used to be a cleaner. Yeah. Um, cleaning all that, the rich people's houses in Primrose Hill. And so I had to go to work with her cleaning this house in Primrose Hill. And she put me in the kitchen. And she's like, don't you dare move, sit there, don't touch nothing. And she's like, cleaning the house. <laughs> and obviously I was like an inquisitive little kid. So I've sat there for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, swinging my legs. And I was like, all right, let me have a little butchers, what's going on around here? <laughs> so I get up, I start having a little look around the kitchen. Um, and there was this cassette on the side. Um, and I picked the cassette up and there's big red bold front across the top, all these guys staring into the camera. I'm like, wow, what's this? And I flip it over and I start reading the track listing. I'm like, whoa, that's mad. So I was like, I'm gonna borrow this tape. I'm not gonna steal it, I'm gonna borrow it. <laughs> I had full intentions of returning the tape. So I put the tape in my pocket and sat back down. Mum come back down, let's go home, done. So she took me home and I remember going into my room and putting the cassette in pressing play and hearing 
the most colourful sound I've ever heard in my life and some words that excited me. <laughs> a lot of the stuff they were saying, I didn't have no idea what they were talking about, but it excited me. Well, now that you know, what were they saying? Well, I don't, I can't, I'm not going to repeat it. <laughs> I mean, quite, it was NWA straight out of Compton. Okay, there we go. Um, that was the tape. And I remember being like, whoa, feeling so naughty, pressing stop on the cassette player, getting in my bed, putting the duvets over my head and listening to that tape religiously for like three, four months. I knew every single word and all my friends at the time, I was young yeah. and the tape was quite old at this point. So what, this was like, what, 90, 91, 92 maybe? Um, 90 even? More like 94, Okay, okay, okay. Um, and a lot of my friends at the time, they was like, what are you talking about? Like, what is this? Um, and from there, I was just, I was in. I was in, like, I would go around, sit around with all the olders, and they'd give me new tapes and, like, make me CDs. What sort of stuff were you getting? Um, like, Dre, Snoop Dogg, Warren G, yeah, like the, Nas. The, the heyday of, like, the West yeah, Coast. Yeah, Nas. Um, and that was it. Like, from then, I knew that I had to be involved in this lifestyle in some shape or form. Um, so that shaped who I was hanging around with. And then by the time I was 13, um, I used to go to South Camden Youth Club. Um, in, in Summertown and they got some decks and I was like raw they've got decks like, I'm, I'm used to watching all these cats on UMTV rats scratching I'm like I'm a DJ now that's it I'm in so I'm in the club I used to go to the youth club every day and hog the decks and I was terrible terrible and then there was this one guy his name was Anderson and um, he was like yo I'm gonna teach you so show me a couple things and I was like raw and I got it and then I was mixing, like, I was the guy. So this is like vinyl? Vinyl. Like, proper, like, yeah, 12 I 10s. was in it, in yeah, it. Yeah. So I started DJing, and by the time I was 14, I got my first live show in Dingles in Camden. Really? Yeah. Uh, on a Friday night. Sick. I, uh, I had to lie about my age. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I got my first, first live show in Dingles, and then I got a, a residency at HQ, which used to be behind Dingles in the courtyard. Um, and I used to do that every Friday. And then by the time I was 15, I started doing pirate radio. I done my first show on Raw FM. Um, oh, I remember Raw. Yeah, yeah, the first show that I did on Raw FM, I, I got a Thursday show at eight to 10. And then by the time I was 17, I was doing a different pirate show on seven different shows, seven different stations. Are you seven serious? Yeah. That's so I was on like Raw, Mission, Freak, Deja, Rinse. Because like back then, like pirate stations were like a massive part massive. Of, of, of the culture of the and the lifestyle. Yeah, 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 yeah. massive. Yeah. Um, and then by the time I got to like 18, I was like, you know what? I couldn't do this rapping thing. <laughs> These guys ain't even that good. <laughs> so I tried that for a couple of years. Didn't really work out. <laughs> um, your, what was your name? What was your rapping name? Um, my first rapper name was Tank. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible name. How did you come to Tank? Do you, uh, do you know what? I'm not even sure. Um, do you know what? It, it stemmed from, um, remember the fridge? Yeah, yeah. NFL? Yeah, yeah the, the, the football the, player. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, you know what? That's a sick name. <laughs> fridge. He's big. <laughs> Tank. My name is Tank. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then it, it went to Sloth, because Sloth was always my, always my nickname when I was young. Right. Um, so it went to Sloth, and then uh, I was like, you know what? I'm not really into this as much as I thought I was. I started producing, like making records for other rappers and MCs. How did that come about? Do you know, like, again, like, I've always been someone who tries to improve myself and better myself. I'm always trying to self-educate myself. Um, you like on the PS2, like making beats and that. Like, I, I was, I actually yeah. was, yeah. Um, 
And it was just something that for me, again, like kind of fell into line with my love and passion for music. Like, like the more I fell in love with music, the more I wanted to learn and understand the process of how records were made. You know, like just go and sit in studios when I was young and like watch other producers like do their thing. And I was like, all right, let me try to write some more music, start writing again. And then it got to the point where I felt like I'd hit a glass ceiling. Right. I was like, rah, uh, I'm pretty sick, <laughs> but nothing's really happening. This was at the time when my first son was just being born. Right. And as you know, being a father. I'm a father myself. Yeah. yeah. It changes everything. Absolutely. It becomes Absolutely everything. Not about you and about them, but exactly. 100%, right? So I couldn't allow to be se- myself to be selfish anymore. Yeah. I had to put him as my priority. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I was living in a shed. Like, when you say a shed? I was living in a shed at the end of the garden with no sanitation, no toilet, no shower. Seriously? No sink, seriously. Like, wow. Ara will tell you the story. Yeah. So, um, you know, I had, I had sacrificed a lot to follow my passion and my dreams. And everyone at the time was mocking me. You know, even my friends, my close friends. Really? Yeah, were mocking me like, you're an idiot. Like, this ain't gonna happen. Yeah. Why are you chasing this? Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm gonna do it. I believe in myself, I can do it. Like, even my dad, you know what I mean? Like, like slap me down for it all the time. So where did that blind faith come from? Because like, a lot of people that have made it always seem to have that blind faith of that, I'm gonna keep going, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna do this no matter I, I what. I think a lot of it stems back to my granddad. Yeah. Like, and I'm thinking to myself, if he can come to this country and he can live his dream and do the things that he wanted to do, yeah. then why can't I? What's stopping me? Yeah. Like, there's no reason why I can't do it. I believe in myself. I'm a great believer in myself. I'm a great believer in self-belief. I believe if you don't believe in yourself, ain't nobody else going to believe in you. Yeah. Even to this day, I believe I can do absolutely anything. Well, you're doing it, bro. Yeah, I'm living my, <laughs> this is my dream. I'm, I'm absolutely living my dream. So there, there was a point I'm living in my shed. My son's just been born. Um, there's no money coming in. And so what are you doing for money? Are you signing on? Are you literally, I was doing odd jobs, whatever yeah. I could do, anything that I could do. Um, and at this point, I had already self-educated myself in editing, production, camera work, web design, yeah. 3D Max Studios. Like I could literally do everything and all self, self-educated and to a very competent level. Yeah, yeah. What made you go down that road to like do that? Just because you need just it. self-progression. Just yeah. I just I'm always trying to evolve and better myself. Um, so I was like, right, you know what? I need to get a job. Like this is so unrealistic, man. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep pushing, but I'm gonna get a job just to shut everyone up. <laughs> and I've got a, I've got a mouth to feed. Yeah, it gets to the point when you're like, okay, even I know at this point I need to like fund what I yeah. fund the dream. I need, right? I need, to, I need yeah. to get some money. Yeah. So. Um, I saw a, a, an advert on Mandy.com um, for an editor at Jump Off TV. Right, okay. And the infamous, the, the legendary. Infamous. And at the time, this is like the biggest hip hop yeah. brand in the country. Yeah. Without a shadow of that. Yeah. So I'm like, whoa, I need that job. That's I'm gonna deal. get that job. Yeah. So um, I applied for the job and I got an interview. And at the time it was Benny Scars. Okay. Doing yeah, the yeah, interviews. Yeah, yeah. Right. So um, Benny's come and met me at the St. George Hotel. And he's like, you know, so tell me, like, what is it you want to do? And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to cloud this and talk about all the other things that I can do. I'm just going to show how good I am as an editor. Yeah. So I showed him loads of pieces of work that I'd worked on. And he was like, Ryan, he's like, I get a good vibe from you, Sloth. I'm like, thanks, bro. He's like, I'm going to like, introduce you to Aaron and Harry. 
Who are the guys behind Who the jump off? Who are the guys off, right? behind the jump yeah. off? Um, so I met um, Ara a week later on City Road in McDonald's and we just clicked. There was just a spark between us straight away. Well, Ara's a very creative person. Very he's a creative, creative mind. Very isn't he? creative person. Like he would have seen that in you straight away. Like he's been the biggest mentor in my life. Yeah. Like that guy helped change my life. And so he hired me there and then. But he had no idea about all the other things that I could do. I remember hearing Ara talking to me, Melvin, a few friends of mine talking about you, like from years back, yeah. years, years. Always, he always mentioned you in conversations. Yeah, this like, is 12 years ago. Yeah, always mentioning you. This is 12 years ago. Um, so I, I started the next day and I was working as an editor and I was editing all their, like, you know, spin the mic and the battle, battle MCs. Yeah. And then um, I had this little studio set up in my shed um, where I'd work. And like, even when I left there, I would still continue working. Right. And one night he come around, and I knew he was coming around, and I kind of planned out how this was gonna happen. So he was <laughs> gonna come around, and as he was entering the building, I'm gonna have some of my productions playing. Smart, smart. <laughs> so it's like, not like I'm putting it on him, I'm yeah, not yeah, trying, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? But they're just gonna be playing, so yeah. that, like he's text me he's like right I'm like five away I'm like right get this loaded up <laughs> and I text him back yeah the door's open just come in <laughs> so smooth he, Charlie yeah, smooth, he, come, smooth, he walks smooth. in and I got one of my beats playing and he's like Mark this is sick who, who done this and I was like me I produced it and he's like you made that and I'm like yeah he's like what else, what else have you got and I started playing music that I wrote and right. like made and he was like you're fired and I'm like what <laughs> what do you mean why am I fired he's like you can't work for me no more I'm like, what do you mean I can't work for you? And he's like, nah. He's like, you're too talented. He's like, I'm gonna manage you. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I'm gonna be your manager, bro. Smashed it. And then from that day, that my life changed. Yeah. It really did. And I think me believing in myself and then having someone who I looked up to, like Ara, believe in me as well. Yeah. Like my mind was just in a totally different space. And then that moves on to like one of the next chapters in my life, which is being Charlie Sloth. Yeah, because I, I remember like a good friend of mine, Melvin, who you know as well, yeah. um, who I do my radio show with, he was just like, yeah, Charlie Sloth, he's got all these different characters that he does yeah. online and stuff. And he, he even said to me, I, Charlie Sloth wasn't even his favorite character at the time. The manager. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone loved the manager. <laughs> So tell me, like, talk to, talk to me about like, the characters that you created and like, you know, how you moved forward from there. There was a manager who was like very uh, like, cockney, you know, yep. you know, very abrasive, rude, abrupt, a um, little bit of a sexist, <laughs> um, very old school, stereotypical music manager. Yeah. Then there was the director, you know, very creative, you know, very, touchy touchy in your face like always just coming up with crazy stuff then there was the editor bit of a seedy man do you know what I mean like always locked in a dark room probably flicking between Final Cut and X Hamster um, then there was the street team who was like proper road in your face like won't take no for an answer then there was the web designer who was very geeky wore glasses you know vote spoke very well um, and then there was myself, Charlie Sloth. Yeah. Um, the first episode, like, I thought, this is it. We've made it. This is going to be massive. I'm going to take over the world. <laughs> and we put it on YouTube and it got like 
4,000 views. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so bad. <laughs> Did that kill you? It killed me. And then I went to bed thinking, oh, I can't do that again. It's not worth it. Um, and then I woke up in the morning and Harry rang me. He's like, bro, 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 bro. I'm like, yo. He goes, well, Star, what? This is an exclusive. Like, let, okay, so let's like, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. So world star hip hop. Biggest hip hop platform on the planet, still on to this day. the planet. So they got hold of like, your material. Yeah. And reposted some stuff. Yeah, so they saw it and they was like, this is genius. This is a great idea. Like, we want to run this exclusively on the, sh- on the site every Monday. So then from there, um, we done 64 episodes every Monday. Wow. I deliver an episode every Monday at 9am. I deliver it no matter what. Yeah. No matter what, I deliver it. I was never late, ever. Um, it ran for 64 weeks and it ended up getting millions and millions of yeah. views. Uh, like to the point where. It's like, a game changer. Yeah, a big, big American artist were coming over and asking for me. Yeah. They didn't want to do interviews with me. Um, I was going to America and like, all these big hip hop artists wanted to hang out with me. And I was a bit like, right, this is. Artists like who? Lil Wayne, Nuts. Birdman, Buster. Like, Matt, the list is endless, man. The game. And now, what was that like? Like, because obviously you've, you've come, your journey so far, you've been hustling hard, and then all of a sudden, things are starting to happen, and things are starting to, like, like big things are starting to happen. It was exciting. Happen. It was very exciting. And, you know, like, I've always tried to be as fluid as I can, as a person, just to be able to make sure that I'm forever moving. So for me, I was just moving with it and making sure I was working hard and staying focused. Um, and for me, it was just like, wow, like, this is it. It's paying off. And yeah, so being shy stuff for around 64 weeks and then um, I was actually going to move to LA. I'd signed a massive deal with Atlas, who are like one of the biggest film houses over there. I signed a huge deal, it was a huge deal that I signed with them for being Charlie Sloth. Right. So again, I'm like, wow, I'm in Hollywood, fam. <laughs> Like, even my mind started to change a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ain't got time for that. Cool. <laughs> Take that cool, you know what I mean? I'm like, turned into a bit of a prick. <laughs> did you really? Uh, for a little I, bit? I, I don't know. People say I didn't, but I felt like I did when I look back in reflection. Like, you know, I, I conducted myself in a way that I find embarrassing now. Yeah. So I must have. Like, when I look back, I was young and in reflection. I don't think I was ever horrible to people because it's not really my character. But I think just in terms of how I conducted myself yeah. and how I thought of myself. and. Yeah. Um, so I signed a deal with Atlas and that was it. We was like, yo, LA. And I was kind of preparing to move my family to LA. I'm looking at houses over there. That's so big. That yeah. That is so big. So, um, yeah, I was over in LA and I actually come back here for three months while I was just finalizing my O1 visa. And um, I come over here and obviously on the back of everything I had been doing with being Charlie Sloth, I had now got heat in the UK because people was aware of what I was doing. Yeah, um, so which is always so weird. It's like, weird because it took it for, to happen over there a bit. But it's so common, isn't it? Like yeah, the amount of right. like, UK acts that we have, or personalities or artists that are amazing, yeah. and until somebody from the US endorses them somehow, yeah, we don't seem we to. Don't, show don't it's changing now. Yeah, it's, it's changing, changing a now. lot. But yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. I always find that kind yeah. of mad. So I come back here for like three months, and um, I got a phone call from Semtex. And he's like, what's up, bro? I'm like, good, yeah, thanks, bro. And he'd been supporting me throughout the whole being Charlie Sloth thing. He, like, he was a massive supporter of the Charlie Sloth movement at the time. And um, he was like, yo, I'm about to go on tour with Diz. Um, do you want to sit in and do my show for seven weeks? You wow. and Wretch. Wow, and, like, you and Wretch free too? Yeah. And I was like, oh, bro, I'd love to. Like, 
that radio thing had never left me. Yeah. Never, ever left me. Yeah. So uh, me and Rex sat in and done the show for seven weeks while Semtex was on tour of Dizzy Wild School. And um, at the end of it, they was like, you guys are incredible together. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. And um, what, was the, what was the connection with you and Rex? It was good. Like, I've known Rex for years yeah. and I've got a great relationship with Rex. So it was just very honest. It was very organic. Nothing felt forced. Yeah. And he's such a nice guy as well. Safe guy. One of the safest Safe. people yeah. I know. Yeah. Just a good, clean-hearted guy. Yeah. And got a big up Semtex as well. Yeah, got a big up while, Semtex. While he was like off kind of with Dizzy, yeah, yeah. who he'd done the same thing to really, yeah. truly like kind of like nurtured Dizzy yeah. kind of like in the early days. Yeah. He's like senior talent and done the same thing yeah, with Yeah, yeah. Without a doubt, I always salute him for that, man. Yeah, yeah. And um, so at the end of it, the BBC was like, yo, we want you and Rex to have your own show. The Charlie Sloth and Rex 3-2 show. Mm. And I was like, rah, okay. So I rang my manager and I was like, yo, I don't want me to do a show. He's like, nonsense. What are you even having this conversation with me for? What is this conversation? But because it, it kind of ignited something in my mind. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, cool, cool, cool. And um, so like two days later, I spoke to Rich and he's like, what are you saying? Like, do you want to do it? Because I'm guessing at the time as well, what Rich was about to, to, to pop off This was off as just well. before everything was about to yeah. pop for Rich. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, a lot of people was like, he's never going to be that, that big guy. Yeah. He's the sickest. But there's no, there's no way, where does he fit in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I feel, I feel at that time, he probably felt a bit of that because he was the sickest then. Yeah. Yeah. But wasn't getting the credit. Yeah. So we spoke about it for the next few days. Like, this was like radio and the opportunity to be on the BBC. It was huge for me. And one night I was lying there and I thought to myself, you know what? I could go to LA. I could do this being Charlie Sloughing and there's a possibility it might never work. Or if it does, I might have four years out of it, five years. I might make a lot of money. But it was never really about the money for me. Yeah. It's about never. The culture, it's, it's about, about it's, 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 yeah, but it's a passion, it's about my yeah. love. Yeah. So I remember turning around to my baby mom being like, you know what? I want to do this radio thing. She was like, really? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do it. So I rang Rich, I was like, bro, should we do it? He's like, yeah, fuck it, let's do it. I'm like, yeah, let's do it, fuck it. Just do it, Rich. He's like, yeah, let's do it, bro. I'm like, yeah, fuck this shit. Let's take over radio. Um, because at the time, like, a lot of these artists, they're all my friends and his friends as well. Yeah. No one was really getting the support. And I yeah. thought, you know what, I can do something here. I can make a difference. So from then you were seeing that kind of the, the vision. Picture. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah. this is this is this is where I can do something that could change the game yeah. or have an impact on all these artists who are my good friends' lives. Um, and so, what year was this? What sort of year was this? Was in? 2010. Yeah. And um, so we we rang the BBC and was like, yeah, we're gonna do it. We're in me and Rex. Boom, let's do it. And then it's gonna get announced on a Friday. And on Thursday night, it was like three in the morning and Rex called me. Like, What's up, bro? He's like, yo, he's like this radio thing. I'm not gonna do it. Ugh. I'm like, for real? He's like, yeah, bro. Like, I wanna concentrate on my music. I believe I can do it. So he had the moment that you had about the radio, yeah, about the music, about like, the music, almost at the same time. Yeah, and he was like, "Bro, I hope you don't." And I'm like, "Bro, don't even say that to me, man. Like, you've got to do what's best for you. 
But I'm good. I'll go to LA, bro. And he's like, oh, thank you, bro. And I'm like, bro, I know you're going to smash it. Bless. And he's like, my love, bro. I know you're going to kill it, stuff. And I'm like, thank you, bro. So the BBC rang me the next day and it's like, Richard said he don't want to do that. I'm like, yeah, I spoke to him. And it's like, we don't think it's going to work. Is that what they said? Yeah, we've just joined your own. Wow. It was kind of like the both of you, it was the chemistry right. yeah. between the two of you that you had on air. And I was like, it's fine. Yeah. I was like, you know, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And I can't lie, there's a part of me that was a bit like, oh man. Mm. I was a bit guided. Who was that conversation with? Rebecca Frank. Right, okay. Rebecca okay. Frank. Right. And, um, and I love Rebecca Frank. Yeah. And um, I was like, all right, cool. I'm just going to LA. It's not. It, like, it, it, there were worse me. things that could have been yeah, happening. Yeah, it upset me because I kind of put my mind into that position where I want to do the radio. I thought, I'm going, I'm going to LA. I'll do this being shy, sloughing. I'm going to make it work anyway. Um, so the week later, I get a call from Rebecca Frank. And she's like, look, I've convinced them that you can do this on your own. I believe you can do it, Charlie. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can that moment happen? <laughs> like, yeah. She's like, yeah, you can do it, you can do it. I'm like, yeah, I can do it. I can do it, you know. I can do it, but she's like, yeah, you can do it. Um, so then I was meant to be leaving to go back to LA on the Friday. How far would you got with like plans of moving your family out and stuff at this point? We're pretty much done. Really? I'd found somewhere where we was going to live. And Mad. Um, we'd meant to be back on a Friday. And so this was like a Wednesday, the week before. Yeah. And she so was like, you want to do it? I'm like, I'm going to do it. Let's do it. I'm in. So uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even ring my management. But that's, that's how certain you were? I, I, yeah, I was certain. Why didn't you ring them? Did you think they were going to try and talk you out? Of course they was going to. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. So um, the following Friday, it got announced. And um, <laughs> like, it was everywhere, all over social media. And my management ran my phone and I had waited the call for about three hours. <laughs> and he sent a message, you fat bastard, I'm coming to your ass. Like, okay. <laughs> hey, hello. What's going on? Um, what are you doing, you idiot? You can't do that. You're in breach of contract. What contract? The contract you just signed. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And I was like, look, I don't care about that. I had just, you signed the contract? Yeah. Because right. I don't care. I get the money back. I don't, yeah. I don't care. And he's like, no, you can't do that. It's not how it works. I'm like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not going back. And I knew from the moment I got that job what my big picture was. And it was my big picture from going back to when I was 13, 14. Which was? To take Westwood's job. I wanted to be that new guy. And the moment I was given that opportunity, because there were so many times where, you know, I sent demos into One Extra. I didn't even get a response. Really? Yeah, how many, how many demos do you reckon you, you uh, sent in? 20, 30, easily. Do you remember like, who you used to send them to? Yeah. I'm not going to put that on blast. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But I sent so many, I never even got a look in. And it wasn't yeah. into... Why, why, why do you think that is, that you didn't get uh, a look in? Because probably nobody cared about who I was at that point. Mm. And if, if I'm being honest with myself, I probably didn't do enough work right. at that point. I probably had still have more to do. But again, in my head, I was like, I'm sick. I'm the illest. What, you, what do you mean you don't know about me? <laughs> I'm on <pirate> radio. <laughs> I've got about 40 <laughs> listeners, bro. <laughs> what? And um, so, yeah, so I, I, it got to that point where I was like, yo, I need to do this. Yeah. This means more to me than that. This means much more to me. So um, I remember the following week, I had my um, meeting with the big boss, Ben, and with Wilbur, who was like... Wilbur Wilberforce. Wilbur Wilberforce, yep. legend. Yep. Um, and so I went into the office and they sat me down and I was like, so Charlie, welcome to One Extra. I'm like, thank you. There's like, so what's the first thing that 
you're going to achieve here? What, you know, what are your long-term goals while you're here at the BBC? And I was like, so the first thing that I'm going to do in a month is I'm going to get over a million views on a video on YouTube. And I was like, oh, at the time, no one cared about YouTube. Yeah. In the radio, yeah. oh, this is radio, bro. What are you talking about? Yeah. And that was with Fire in the Booth. So I did that with Keiko. Within the first month of me being on air, I got over a million views. Insane. And I was like, all right, cool. And so I said, the second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to replace Westwood. And both of their faces, I swear, like Wilbur was cracking up. <laughs> Wilbur was laughing in my face, and I was like, "Why?" Because Wilbur was one of the guys that started one extra. Yeah, and you know he'd been he'd been in radio long before. Long that before he was a kiss. He, kiss. Yeah, Trevor, the Dream Team, yeah. Westwood. He knew his yeah. stuff. He knew his stuff. Yeah. So he was laughing in my face, <laughs> and even Ben's face was a bit like. And I was like, "Why are you laughing?" Because yeah. Ben helped Westwood from Capital to Radio 1. Yeah. So yeah. they're probably two people that would never believe that at, no. that, at that point. At that point. Yeah. Uh, and I said to him, well, why are you laughing? And he's like, do you know how many times I've heard that? I was like, you've never heard it from me. And he's like, okay. I was like, give me five years. And he's like, okay, good luck with that. <laughs> Some very interesting aspirations. <laughs> and I left the, the meeting. Um, and I think from that moment, Ben saw something in me. Mm. Because Ben was the guy who signed me, yeah. ultimately. Um, ben saw, saw something in me that made him believe in me. Yeah. And Ben's um, the top guy at Radio 1. He's the one. top guy at Radio 1 yeah. and like such a great guy. I, honestly, I've got so much time for that man. Yeah. Um, just like his vision and his belief and his passion for it. Like just so much admiration and respect for him. Yeah. And from what I remember of Ben from my, you know, production days at Radio 1, he's very up to date. He, he likes to take on new ideas. Yeah, very much like, so. That's what I love about him. He's like, he, he's not scared to take risks yeah. and he's very forward with what's happening right now. He knows exactly what's going on. Yeah. Um, and like, I mean, like he started as an AP, as a producer and worked his way to the top. So he knows what it, what it is to be each individual throughout the BBC, which is something that I admire. Yeah. Um, so within... One year, I got weekend breakfast on One Extra. Yep. Within three years, no, within two years, I got drive time. So just before you go forward, when you got weekend breakfast, I'm guessing, because that's a mainstream show now, like you're yeah. right. It's weekends, but it's a mainstream show. Yeah. How are you taking your vibe from like a, almost like an underground kind of like cool to like a mainstream audience? You know what? Like I've, I, I've never taken myself too seriously and I'm all about just having fun. No, I mean that's all I that's all I ever want to put across on radio is just have fun. Like life's too short to be miserable and take yourself too serious and just enjoy yourself. Yeah. And I, I've always felt that that's why I've connected with audiences because I'm very honest. Like, I'm not scared of people taking the mic out of me. I'm not scared of taking the mic out of myself. Yeah. Like I'm just honest. That was that was the first thing that I noticed when I first heard you on Weekend Breakfast was just your catchphrases. Like I think I was driving home from a gig somewhere far, I don't know Norwich or somewhere. And um, you just kept saying a couple of things that just, just stuck in my head. The People's Prince, or like the best looking fat guy in the world. And I was just like, this guy's got these catchphrases that just, they're killing me, they're absolutely killing me. Like, so where, how did you come up with those? Branding's always been very important for me and understanding the power of branding and who you are and who you represent and who your audience are. So again, like branding is a massive part of my brand. So understanding who I am, the catchphrases are like my slogans for my brand. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So they've always been important to me. Genius, genius. Um, what's the best bit of broadcasting advice you've ever been given? Um, just be yourself. You know, Trevor Nelson's been a massive 
influence and another mentor for me, you know, someone who's always taking time out to help nurture me and help me grow as a broadcaster. Like such a great man, another massive influence for me. And he's always taking time out to just, you know, bro, there's gonna be people that hate you, there's gonna be people that love you. And the thing is you always trust Trevor as well. Always. You know that he's been there and always. he's done it. Always, he's done yeah. it. Like, you know, like, he, like when he sees me working too hard, he'll come in the studio and be like, yo, you're burning it, Charlie, man. Slow down a bit. I'm like, nope. I used to watch you back in the day, Trevor. And he's like, no, but I never do what you do. You do like three shows in a night. It's greedy. And I'm like, all right. And I have to go back and reflect. And like Uncle Trevor said, I can't do three shows for the next year. If Trevor sees, he's going to be upset. Just keep it to two. <laughs> but um, yeah, so like, just be yourself. And I think like, there's only ever going to be one of you. So if you can master being yourself and being comfortable with being yourself, there's no one else like you. Yeah, yeah. It's the best advice. Um, with regards to music, yeah. if you could do a fire in the booth with artists that have passed, Biggie Smalls. Biggie that Smalls. Is, it's, only, it's only one. <laughs> so you don't want there could the be the only one. That's it. Biggie Smalls. I was going to say Biggie, Tupac, Big Pun, Easy E. I mean, all great, all amazing artists. But for me, it's a no-brainer. Biggie Smalls all day. One of my favorite. I think my favorite rapper of all time. Why? I think. Do you know what? It's, it was his charisma. The way that he was able to tell a story using so few words. Yeah. He could really, really make you feel like you could see what was going on. Like some rappers are great at that, but they'll take 16 bars to give you one message. He could do it in two. Yeah. And that in itself is, you know, the, the artistry involved in that is insane. And then you've got like, you know, his diction, his voice. Yeah. His charisma, the way he carried himself, obviously being a fat guy as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, right, you, you could be fat and get girls. Biggie's <laughs> sick. He gave me so much confidence. As a fat guy, I was like, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm Biggie, innit? The white Biggie, baby. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, man, brilliant. All right, talk to me about uh, your music career. Yeah. You've got an album out. Um, the plug. Um, something that I've wanted to do for a long time, but. I'm someone who feels like I have to be in a certain space in order to take the next step. And I feel like this year, I really solidified myself as that guy in my world as a DJ. You know, like last year I've done 211 live shows. I'm doing six radio shows a week. I'm on top of the world. And again, it falls back to, you know, my passion and love for music. Like I said, I've been producing since I was a kid. It's um, almost like the prophecy coming to light. Yeah. You like, when you started, you wanted to be in a position where you could bring all the people through. That, yeah, yeah. That you were, yeah. Without that. And like, now I'm in a position where I've got relationships with all these artists around the world. And I'm able to, you know, make them calls to be like, yo, I can make a record and be like, yo, here's Sean Kingston on this. Yeah. How did you get Sean Kingston on the record or Jada Kiss on the record? How do you, how'd you just make Just relationships. That it's just phone calls, man. And I think like w once you've met people and you've had genuine conversations with people and people can see that you're coming from a genuine place, yeah. it's different. Like e everything in life is relationships, right? It's yeah. not what you know, it's who you know. Absolutely. And once you've got them relationships, as long as you nurture them, you're in a good space in life. Mm. Your network determines your net worth. Yep. Jigger. <laughs> so talk to me about some of the collaborations you got on there, like the artists that you, you got on there, like Giggs is on there, for example. Yeah, so like Giggs is like, away from music, Giggs is my friend. Yeah. Like, he's my good friend. And um, again, like one of the nicest, coolest people, you know what I mean? Obviously a serious guy, yeah. but a good people. Mm. Um, so when it comes to making an album, I was just like, bro, I need you. And he's like, come on, bruv. Like, next day we was in the studio, mm. cut, cut a record. I mean, like everyone who's on there, you know, like 
we, we actually cut 54 records really for the album there's 22 on there mm. so I've got my second album ready which I'm going to drop in March wicked yeah but like all the, all the artists on there you know I mean like Bugsy Malone again a friend of mine outside of music we're friends we're friends like obviously we've, we've got relationships as colleagues you've yeah. been an artist we've been a DJ but that explains all the dub plates as well yeah <laughs> like all the artists in my world like I, I genuinely have relationships with them and that's because I genuinely care this is not just a job for me, this is my life. So like, if I see like one of the artists going through tough times, I want to reach out to them. I'm like, yeah, I'm here for you, man. Yeah. Like, if you need me, bro, just shout anything you need from me. And I try and do that as much as I can with every person I have relationships with. Yeah. And, and then it obviously swells your relationship. Talk to me about um, just some of the stories behind some of the tracks. Like maybe not your favorites, but just anything that's like, you know, that sticks out in your head. All right, so on the gigs record, yeah? yeah. Um, I had a big American artist on there. Yeah. A big, so I just flew back from Atlanta. I'd got the verse. And the next day I was in the studio with Giggs. And um, so we've gone into the studio and Giggs has laid his verse. And it, the way Giggs works is, it's, you know what, it's incredible. Like he, he, you say, put the beat on. Sit there and vibe for 10 minutes and he's in the booth. No writing, done. Really? And watching him do it is just genius. Genius. Yeah, yeah. So, he put his verse on the track. His verse comes first. And we're all sitting there in the studio. And he's like, nah, nah, take that geezer's verse off. <laughs> and what do you mean? I'm taking that, that's not, that's not gangster, man. This is gangster. I'm like, nah, but that's a sick verse. We just got that from America, bro. He's massive. Who was it? I can't, I can't do it. Right, 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 right down, right down. I always say, right down. You can't say this. I always say, I swear down. Oh, okay, okay, like he's really? The, he's the biggest street really? rapper in the States right now. <laughs> and, um, and Giggs is telling you to take it off. He's like, take, take it off, Snuff. I'm like, bro, really? That's why you got to love Giggs, though. He's, he like, he's the weirdest. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, all right, I'll tell you what to do, man. Ring him, innit? <laughs> tell him you want a better verse. I'm like, come, come, come ring him. Tell him you want a better verse. And he's like, well, take it off then. I'm like, all right, bro, if you want it off, I'll take it off. And obviously, I want Giggs on my album more than I want him on my album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Giggs is my bro. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, cool, take it off. <laughs> and that's why the record was only two minutes long. Because the verse got took off it. True story. <laughs> Mad. Oh, hilarious. Anyway, listen, our time is almost done, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Pleasure, but before, before, you. We, before we end, I've got four questions that I, yeah. I ask everyone. First one is, what's the biggest misconception about you? Um, I don't know. I heard a funny story that um, yeah, you said to someone that if you walk down the street without your hat on, people don't really recognize. Very you. true. <laughs> this is not a joke. This is really not a joke. So like, when I'm having family time, like it's it's quite weird. Like walking down the street is quite hard for me these days. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. people are trying to slow. People are trying to slow. Hey, slow. What's happening? Out of my kids. Slow. Can I? I'll be eating my dinner. Yo, slow. Can I get a selfie? My son sat there, and people. Are, I'm like, yo, bro. And then so like one day. Um, I was out of my kids and I, like when I'm out of my kids I don't really wear my hat on it anyway you know what I mean I try and smile up a bit yeah. um, so I had my hair wrapped I was in the West End and I was going to shit I was like wow no one's noticing me <laughs> like no one's coming up to me not one person in an hour and that's so weird for me yeah, yeah. like anyone who knows me or anyone who walks down the street with me will know that it's pretty weird walking down the street with me yeah. like even now I still find it a bit weird and um, no one's noticing me and I was like raw like I feel like Superman. <laughs> I might be Clark Kent, you know? So, um, that, that, the next day, I was like chatting to my pal. I was like, bro, I was on the street yesterday, hat off, no one noticed me. 
He's like, serious? Now like, watch this, bruv. Watch this. We went out in Camden, bruv. Took my hat off, hair slipped to the side, little shirt on and that. Rolling through Camden. No one come up to me. Serious. Nobody come up to me. And this is like your ends. This is my like ends. <laughs> no one come up to me. This is branding. This is branding at his best. <laughs> and then, so I was like, all right, bro, watch. Watch this. So, man went to the car, put a jacket on, put my hat on, walked onto the high street. Slop! What's that, bro? Yo, Charlie! I was like, bro, see? It's not my secret disguise now. So, when I'm out now, and I don't want to get recognized, even when I'm at the airport and shit, I just stick my hair over, one pair of glasses. Clark Kent, bro. Sick. True story. That's hilarious. That is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I, look, I look a lot more handsome with my hat on. <laughs> All right, next question. Um, what's the la- when's the last time you did something for the first time? The last time you did something for the first time. Do you know what? This was recently. So, like, I love food, man. <laughs> Hence my obesity. I really do love food. Okay, lo- what's your go-to food? Do you know what? Go-to food was always steak. steak. It's my favorite, gauchos, piccadilly. Like, I lived in there. But last year, like, this time last year, because of my schedule, I was like, yo, I need to change my lifestyle. I'm going to die. I don't want to be like Big Pun, even though I love him, RIP. I don't want to die like that. I don't want to die like that. So I thought, I need to change my lifestyle because I'm drinking every night. I'm eating when I want. Like, it'd be like four in the morning. I'd be like, yo, let's go get some food. Like, just reckless. I didn't care. Yeah. I never thought about it. And then last year, I was like, I need to change my life. So it got to the point where I was like, yo, right, from 2017, I'm not eating no more red meat. Really? Yeah, so I'm, I'm only eating white meat which means chicken and fish, and I've never eaten seafood, right. ever. Really? Never liked the smell of it. Reminds me of my ex-girlfriend and I ain't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not about that, man. But anyway, so um, every steak that I had for those last few months, it was great. It was like, mm, you know, you only make noises when you're eating. Like, mm, man would look at me like, right, is it that good? I'm like, boy, you don't understand. Like, mm, I knew it was the last. It was coming to the end of me having that steak, savoring the flavor, even savoring cutting the steak, watching the juices flow from the meat. So anyway, come September, uh, come January, I weren't eating no red meat, and I've not eaten no red meat, and I've changed my diet and my lifestyle and how I'm eating. Yeah, you do look more trim. I lost a lot of weight. Yeah, you look more trim, man. Um, and so I was like, right, I need to start eating fish. I need to start eating fish. So for the first time this year, I started eating fish, and the first bit of fish that I had, I had a tuna steak. And I was like, this is sick, bruv. <laughs> then I had a bit of white bait, nice. lobster. So the first, last thing I done for the first time was eating fish. Yeah, you're all cultured in that now. Cultured, bruv, <laughs> seasoned. <laughs> next question. Um, who's the next person, or who should we interview on this, on this show? Ooh, who would you suggest? Um, do you know who would be a sick one? God, Giggs. Yeah. I think he's got so many stories. Yeah. And I think people don't realize the impact that not only he has already had, but he's about to have. Yeah. He's gonna be the first British rapper to conquer the States. When I was in Atlanta, just a couple of months back, I'm in a studio with like, sitting there with two chains, and man's playing gigs, like playing with some of their gigs. <laughs> what? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm in, like, do you know, there's, there's a difference between being cool in America and being cool in the hood. Yeah. The hood dictates the pace in the world of rap. Yeah. If you're good in the hood, a man in the hood is playing your stuff, you're gone and you're onto something. And right now, a man in the hood are playing his stuff. I'm in the hood, the man like, ain't hey, no gigs. I'm like, rah, you no gigs. It's hard, boy. I'm like, rah. So gigs would be a good one. That's big. Well, maybe you can sort it out, bro. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Let me know, man. I'll line it. And lastly, 
Um, what is your motto? What is your motto? Oh, um, you know what? When I was younger, I always, I always, always, I would always expect people to think like me or want to do stuff like me. I thought, you know, because I've always did my life do to others as you would to yourself. Um, so like to have your hustle, to have your like, yeah. yeah. So I'd always expect people to be the same, and I never understood why people weren't growing up. And then obviously, as you get to a certain age, you start looking at people, and you know you realise that we're not all the same and we all have different flavours. So one man's meat is another man's poison. And my granny used to always say that to me. And as a kid, I'd be like, talking about steak is steak, bro. In my head, that's why I thought of it. And then as you grow older and you start looking at why people do things and why people have certain motivations and certain passions, we're all different. And the moment you understand that, you can kind of celebrate it a bit. So one man's meat is another man's poison. Without that, wicked. Love that. Well, listen, Charlie, man, it's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure, Vic, bro. My love, bro. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thanks, love. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. $15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.